So how are you doing? I'm okay. I'd like to apologise to everyone. It, it, it is my fault, the reason we haven't been with everyone with the pods for a couple of weeks. And I'm, I think probably in a, f- a few weeks down the line, I'll probably have a chat about why we didn't do the pods. But for now, I mean, we've gone from famine to feast. There's, what are we talking about? Sort of, there's like 80 matches a day. And now from people saying, oh, there's no tennis, I can't believe it. People are actually complaining that there is too much tennis taking place. It's, I mean, it's a lot to digest. It's isn't a it? lot of tennis. It's, it's a lot of tennis. It is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, looking at that order of play, it's just bonkers. It's a little bit, I feel like there should be a bit more colour coordination going on so we know kind of what's what. It takes a little but bit how, of okay, deciphering. How, so, so, how would you colour coordinate it in terms of put what? Yeah, how would you even start that? Sort of higher seeded players or countries in one colour or how would you make it so it... Well, there's different tournaments, aren't there? So I think each tournament could be a different colour or a a round or something or honestly, (laughs) it's just sometimes I just don't know what I'm looking at because some days you have first rounds and second rounds happening at the same time. Like we, then that's always normal. We always have that, but it can be... Sometimes in tournaments you get somebody wins their second round match, but a first round match hasn't started yet on a different court and those sorts of things. So it's a little bit confusing, but at the moment I just sort of look at the, look at the order of play and just sort of zone out a little bit and just pick out some really good matches and go, Oh, it's good tennis on. Well, that's what you have to do, isn't it? I think that's what you have to do. Pick out some good matches or some players you particularly want to keep an eye on. Cause at the moment we've got five tournaments taking place with the ATP cup, the latest to start. We're recording. What day is it? Day? Is it? What day is it? Day? Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday. So it's, you can tell we're still in lockdown and we're not near bin day, so I get very lost. So it's Tuesday and we've had the first raft of matches in the ATP Cup and we've still got the, the Grampians Trophy to start. Now that's also been called the Hard Quarantine Cup because that's for those people who are quarantined for the 14 days. I mean, it's... it's cra- and the other thing is it's all taking place at Melbourne Park because normally you'll be looking at, at a different tennis club court setting town city but it's all taken it just all looks the same yeah and so they're not going to have you know each tournament name written on the court as well you know how when we go around the world it it (laughs) says sort of monte carlo masters or whatever it does on the court so you can just sort of remind yourself they're at melbourne park but they're yeah you don't have grampians written on the court we need some sort of sign but uh yeah i really um i think that the the choice from the wga to put on that grampians tournament it's funny because grampians sounds like champions but uh, it does a little bit. <laughs> Grampians is is I think it's some hills in Australia uh, that they've named it after. But uh, yeah, it's um, I think there's a really smart move for the hard quarantined people because it just guarantees that some of them are going to go deep and get lots and lots of matches because somebody's got to win the tournament, right? Uh, whereas if you put them into the other events, there was a very real risk that they would come in underprepared. And not that anybody is overprepared. Everybody's a little bit underprepared, <laughs> to be fair. But they'd come in underprepared and they'd lose first round and then just have to go back to training and not really get any sort of build up before the slam. So I think that's really good because, okay, of course, half of them are still going to lose very early in the tournament. But you can guarantee that you know some of them are going to get some of those matches and get that rhythm. And there's a fair opportunity for them to do that. So I thought that was a really, really smart move by the WTA. How do you think you would have coped as I say, I think you'd have coped quite well. But how do you think you would have coped, firstly, as a person, if you were in the full-on 14 days not leaving a room quarantine? And secondly, as an athlete, what kind of toll would that take 
on the body if you're limited to what you can do in your hotel room for two weeks? It just totally depends who you are. For for me, my body was fairly bouncy. I didn't really get many injuries that, that much. <laughs> bouncy? You know, I, well, Is that yeah. a technical term? Bouncy, got bouncy body. Is that technical? Just, yeah, sort of just was always okay. Bouncy. Okay. No, no. Do you know what I mean? It just sort of responded and it was fine. It sounds a positive term. It is, yeah, yeah. I'd be stiff and I'd be sore. But at tournaments, often it's actually something that some of the young players do fall foul of a little bit because they try to be so professional that they uh, always do their warm-ups and they get down to the courts half an hour before and they're going up and down the side of the court. You know, even at the lower levels at the ITFs, they're there, they're doing their band work and all this sort of stuff. But I tell you what, it was actually at the Australian Open when I went to practice. I was playing qualifying there and uh, I went went to practice. And I mean, it's just get on a court if you can. I mean, you might get a half an hour window or somebody's hitting partner doesn't turn up and you've just got to try and get because you just needed to, especially when you first get down there, you really need to flush the legs out. You just want some time on court. And a lot of the time at tournaments, you don't have time to go through your band routine and sort of, um, you know, get the muscles firing and w- wake up all the little muscles in your shoulder and all those sorts of things. Do some ankle stability. Like, of course, that's ideal. And if you've got your scheduled practice and you can do that. But a lot of the time it's just get on, do your warm up and sorry, get on and hit, do your practice. There isn't time to warm up. It's just, oh, there's a court. Jump on. Let's go. So... Uh, you do have to be able to to do that. And I always was pretty good with that, to be honest. I was kind of okay. So I think I would have responded okay. Um, I think I would have been fairly disciplined. But I mean, look, it's hard going. I think quarantining for 14 days for anybody is pretty tough going just mentally and emotionally. And to try and have that motivation to get all of your exercise done. And we saw people playing tennis against mattresses i mean that hotel must be absolutely destroyed absolutely destroyed (laughs) we had people playing tennis against the windows i was thinking there's going to be broken windows and all sorts so i wonder if tennis australia are going to have to sort of kit out the hotel when it's all (laughs) said and done um but yeah it was really interesting the sort of ways that people were occupying themselves and, and just trying to to feel ready i don't think much of that would actually help (laughs) <laughs> in terms of their level of tennis when they get on the court but I think just mentally just to feel like they've got a grip of something but how much or how long is two weeks in the life of an athlete because there's lots of chatter especially on social media about how many injuries are we going to see after a hard quarantine how many retirements are we going to see after this this hard lockdown how much fitness are they going to lose realistically in in two weeks how much fitness would because surely you've some people have gone there having come through qualifying playing other tournaments you've had your pre-season so surely you should be in a pretty good shape no it's not ideal but going into those two weeks yeah and you would definitely lose a chunk of fitness with it for a couple of weeks that's for sure i mean even if you do what heather watson did and run 5k up and down hey look she listened to our pod because that's what i did when i was little i'm ahead of the game here running up and down my living room i'm not sure if i made it to 5k or not I did that when i was about 11 yeah, I think. yeah i remember that story i was really embarrassed about it and now i wish there was a video and i'd be like look i'm a trendsetter <laughs> but, um, you would definitely lose a chunk of fitness but it would only take a few days um for it to come back and the the grampians tour for those hard quarantined uh, wta players uh, is it's pushed back a little bit hasn't started yet um so it wouldn't be too 
too bad and I think with the injuries the biggest concern is something we have seen with a couple I think Kirsten Flipkins and Bianca Andreescu is just that because they weren't allowed the access to their physios and they have injuries that they're managing they weren't able to get the treatment they needed um, to keep on top of those injuries so I think that was quite that that that's something that I would sort of expect that makes sense if you if you're carrying an injury and you know that you need three hours of physio a day and some players do they need their back manipulated every single day they need it you know warmed up and warmed down otherwise they will do serious damage especially if you're in the latter part of your career it's unfortunate for Andrescu that she's in this situation so early on in her career but they need the physio treatment luckily Andreescu's a millionaire so she can have a physio <laughs> whenever she wants and this is the first time that of course she couldn't have a physio whenever she wanted um, and so she just wasn't ready to play but a really sensible decision it is hard she hasn't played in ages <laughs> she hasn't played in so so long and even when she did play before it was still quite patchy with injuries and so to be out in Australia be tantalizingly close to getting back out on the court and playing and to still say I'm not ready I think that does show a fair bit of maturity, but to be honest, being what she's been through with her injuries the last couple of years, that's sort of fair enough. She's not just going to play and just go, ah, whatever, we'll see what happens. That's not how it goes. She's done that before when she came out to the French Open in 2019. It didn't work. She re-injured herself. Uh, she came back too soon. So so it's a positive that she's taking that, but oh, it must be so frustrating for her. Yeah, I I wanted to talk to about Bianca Andreescu. Now you, you've brought her up now because I was so excited. I looked at the, the draw for the Grampians trophy and I thought we we're going to see her. It was due to be her first match since October 2019. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? She is still only 20 years of age. And I read, I don't know if you read a really nice piece by a friend and a colleague of ours, Tumaini Kareil in The Observer, spoke to Andreescu when she was going through her lockdown and she talked about the ups and downs she talked about the tears she talked about the frustration the injuries and it is it's sometimes easy to forget which is a crazy thing to say that she's a grand slam champion because our thoughts are dominated about injuries you know she had that yeah. incredible you know gets to indian wells and you're like oh right she wins that right and there's that she was it was dotted around with injuries she wanted to play roland garris and she wasn't able to she wins the u.s open and there was all the talk about the visualization of her holding the check that she's done for years and with the help of her mother that said it was a great thing to do. And there's, But then it's just injury, injury, injuries. And that's it seems to be what we talk about with her. And when I first saw on social media that she pulled out before we knew the reason why, my heart just sank because so excited to see her back. And as you said, so tantalizingly close. And you just hope she gets a break soon because as I say I want to stop talking and I'm sure she does about her injuries and more about her tennis I feel like looking back I kind of think of Andrescu and I feel like I've seen her play four tournaments <laughs> it's not actually true but it's just that feeling yeah, was, of yeah. course Indian Wells she won Indian Wells Incredible. she went on a great run in Miami yep. but her shoulder was falling off and it fell off <laughs> in the end um, and then then I feel like what she made an appearance at Roland Garros came back too soon. Yep. Then she won in Canada, which was a huge deal, Amazing. of course, to win yep. the Canadian Open at home. That was massive for her. So it was great that she was fit and healthy for that. And then she won the US Open. <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of it. So it's like Indian Wells, it's Miami, a, year, a little blip, it? little blip coming back at Roland Garros. She didn't even lose at Roland Garros. She won a match and then, yeah. then had to pull out. But yeah, so it's kind of Indian Wells, Miami, 
Canadian Open and US Open. And then and the- I tell you what... It, she's picking the big ones, isn't she? Well, then she went to the tour finals, another big one. But obviously, at the injuries, oh, of course, yeah. at that point, it was just it was just too much. And and I sometimes wonder is it is it easier as a 19, 20 year old to deal with that frustration, especially with what you've already achieved because you've got so much time ahead of you, or is it even more frustrating? I I, I can't I can't work out whether you don't want to be injured at any time, whether it's it's better or worse to be going through what she's doing at this stage because she's still got so much time ahead of her yeah well arguably the body responds better to treatment now but yeah i mean the concern is just whether any of these injuries will be chronic injuries and you know whether it's just going to continue happening you know it's just is is it is it going to just be like this for a while or for the rest of her career you don't that i think that's the main worry definitely having won a grand slam would soften the blow of, of the the injuries if you compare her to say i mean look it's pretty tough to compare her to somebody like the the brit katie bolter but um just that katie bolter broke the top 100 was looking quite comfortable and then picked up quite a serious injury you know that feels like a bit more of a harsh time because she kind of just got there and then has to go back through all of that again um, and it's been quite a stop start for her in a sort of similar way but at a much lower ranking I think it's more difficult um, you know she looks she's going to be guaranteed wild cards into tournaments she wants to play and you know, you know she's going to be able to pick up that that's at least at some sort of, of level well, what we Im- imagine it's been so long since we've seen her play who knows it's crazy isn't it she might but be left-handed by now there's, <laughs> I imagine there's all also the the mental side of things most recently in tennis we had it with Kane Ishikori he's had so many wrist problems and he was he had to be told by about four different experts you there will be some pain but you are not going to do any more damage to that injury you are fine. And I know this with footballers in the past, they have to trust their body. You've seen players who've had hamstring injuries, they don't trust it enough to go at it full kilt, full pelter, sorry, because they, they're scared that it's going to break down again. So as well as having to fix the injury mentally, you've got to have the faith in your body because you must be so tentative, you must be so terrified at one level of something breaking down again. Well, that's it, isn't it? Just is it going to continue happening? Because it, you, can sort, you can always wrap your head around the injury in front of you but it's the the thought that it's going to happen again and then you end up you know somebody like your Juan Martin Del Potro it's just it's just awful every time he gets himself back to to the top of the game and he does it in rapid time as well we're talking you know a couple of months before he's beating the big guys and going okay this guy might win another grand slam and then bang that that's the the hard thing that's where it's so demoralizing is just to continuously do it and to not get long enough playing that's yeah, the, you know, if yeah. you were to play for two years and then pick up an injury every two years for six months, you know that's hard enough. But to be picking up injuries, come back and play a little bit, and then pick them up again, it's just so 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 hard. And I've said it before, rehab is horrendously boring. It's absolutely <laughs> awful for anyone. And I do feel like it's a bit unusual, isn't it, for Andreescu so young in her career? I mean. Maybe it means she'll have a really short career or maybe she'll have a long career if she can figure out how her body physically can cope with it uh, and that mentally she's so underplayed because she hasn't been playing you know, through her late teens, early 20s because she's been so injured that maybe she'll feel fresher out on tour. I mean, who knows how it will play out, but it is... Uh... Yeah, it's pretty intense for her, but fingers crossed we will see her at the Australian Open. And we should say the news that came out today tuesday (laughs) is that roger federer who's been dealing with his own injuries plans to return at the atp 250 in doha which is 
in for March the 8th to the 13th. And he's then said that he would like to play another tournament if it doesn't allow. I would go back into fitness, tennis training, and then I plan to prepare for clay. So the people at Roland Garros are dancing around in delight that Roger Federer is talking about clay and hopefully probably come back to Roland Garros with focus later on Halle, Wimbledon and the Olympics. And I think when we talked about Federer coming back, we had Halle, Wimbledon, also the, the US Open, but the Olympics, we had those kind of put in an ink, weren't they? they we thought if he's going to come back and if he's going to play, definitely. As I said, I'd have put the US Open in there as well, but Halle Wimbledon Olympics would have been very, very high up on the on the Federer return schedule. I agree. I think definitely yeah. the, the top ones for sure. I think not that COVID has been good. It hasn't in any way, but in terms of... Federer's schedule had kind of been decreasing and decreasing over the years. He then he added back in the clay court season. You know, I recognise that, but I think it's almost uh, a good excuse to keep things really, really limited for him through this year because you've got to deal with travel. Because you know, he says there, you know, I'm going to play that first event, but I'll play another one if it allows. And he's talking about the body, the travel, the, the quarantine, or whether it's you know physically possible for him to be able to you know, feel good about things and, and play those tournaments. Uh, yeah, it almost sort of is just going to keep things even lighter in the schedule, which might be a really good thing for him because you've got to remember these players, especially if you are Mr. Roger Federer, they have a lot of uh, commitments at tournaments. And sometimes, <laughs> no matter how much you don't want to play... Even Roger Federer, <laughs> you've got to go, and uh, it can be it can be quite tricky to negotiate. Uh, you know, un- unless of course you're injured and you just can't, you absolutely can't play. But they do have these sorts of commitments and things, so it might just be a just help things along to say, you know what, actually, I'm just going to play here and then I play Haller and you know, do a bit on the clay, and he can just be a little bit bit lighter with it. It's a full on schedule in tennis and. Really, I think it was Serena, wasn't it? Serena and Venus were the first ones to really limit their schedule. I mean, Serena's been limiting her schedule for a long time. It seems like Naomi Osaka is kind of doing something quite similar. She's not saying, she's not signing up to every single event. But again, she falls into similar to Andreescu sort of, well, when I turn up, I might win. And but does that surprise you with Osaka? Because I get it with Serena. I know they've been doing it for a while, but Osaka is, is so young. That, and we get with Andreescu with the injuries, but does it surprise you a little bit that Osaka might take that route of limiting the schedule? I think that what Serena and Federer particularly have shown, remember they're both in their 40th year of age, not of playing tennis. That's, in, that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> phenomenal kind of what they have achieved, but they've both had much lighter schedules than anybody else. That That's how they've done it. And they've been able to make that yeah. work. And that is why they're able to play so long i think they also i don't know because i've never seen them train but from what we hear it seems like they train a lot less than other people as well and not that they don't train (laughs) of course they're training but they obviously are very very good at training very efficiently i know federer was talking when andy murray had his big hip problem not that he doesn't still have the hip problem he does but when that came out he was federer was saying that he's done you know, too much training, you know, you have to be confident in your own ability that it's not going to go anywhere. And it's the same for these players who've been quarantining. You've got to know that this is like riding a bike. You spent your entire life doing this and you might lose a bit of fitness and a bit of this, but ultimately you are still the same player 
two weeks into quarantine or before, you're exactly the same player. You just might not be 100% sharp, but you're going to be 99% of the way there. I mean, think of all the hundreds of thousands, the millions of shots, the balls that they've played throughout their careers. And you've got to have that, that confidence in your ability that you don't need to play every day, that on your day off from a match in a slam, you can have the day off. You don't need to go and practice for a couple of hours. And that, I think is fairly new and I do think it's been led by Serena and Federer unless somebody wants to tell me I'm wrong and there was somebody before them but I think they've done that really really well I mean of course it's much easier to rely on your ability when you have the ability (laughs) of Serena or Federer and much more difficult when you're somebody like me trying to play thinking (laughs) I don't think I'm good enough I think I better go and practice I think also that this this global pandemic COVID has shown that you can step back a little bit I think Rafa Nadal was talking about as well that if you do step back it's still going to be there you are still going to be able to play tennis and it's still going to be okay I think they've realized that you know less is more in some cases I'm not sure Dominic Team will ever subscribe to the mantra of, of less is more he just likes to play the whole time but maybe even he'll get to a stage and you talked about Murray there even saying that probably overdid it I mean he's achieved so much and could still get back to a fabulous level but but sometimes less is more and with the enforced lockdown you know Nadal was in his kitchen cooking and others were sort of stepping away from tennis rackets because you know they weren't allowed to do anything and even with this 14 days quarantine where they were as you say mattresses against doors and everything you know that is it's a small price to pay for what they've got now when you see them in Australia, it's, it looks normal, doesn't it? There are, there are crowds watching tennis matches. There are the selfies coming up from all those parts of, of Melbourne that we know so well. They say there's queues outside restaurants and nightclubs. It's just this, it, when you look at the pictures, it's, it looks almost normal. I'm sure a lot of them will be finding that they'll be out and thinking, oh, that was kind of worth it, those two weeks. It probably feels really long when you're in it, but to then just be back in normality and, as you say, going out to restaurants and having crowds and being able to just hug people and just live sort of normally is a... Yeah, it's it's amazing. But I do think it's interesting, isn't it? Because the level at, say, US Open was great yeah it didn't was. feel like there was a yeah. drop in level and people hadn't been competing for months and months on end and there, there is always this thing um with with players because we have such a relentless schedule and because there are tournaments every week of the year because the opportunities are there people feel like they have to play all of the time but remember the rankings i know it's, they're a bit funky at the moment because of covid but in general they only take your best 16 events or 18 events 16 events for the women 18 events for the men (laughs) sorry I was trying to figure out which way around it is but it's less events for the women than it is for the men um so but players will play 25 tournaments I mean some players will play 30 tournaments more than that and most of them aren't even counting it doesn't matter how well you do those points aren't going to count so you people can get a bit obsessed with being match fit and being competitive but you've got to back yourself Are you speaking to me from a darkened room? It's quite dark, isn't it? I'm just thinking, it looks... I'm looking at my window and it's getting dark, but it's not dark. You just seem to be in a... in a. I don't mean a dark... That sounds quite sinister. You seem to be in a dark place. But <laughs> you do seem to be speaking to me from a very dark place. Well, yes. I, um, I ran out of plug sockets, <laughs> so I had to unplug the light that uh, is, what? is normally next to me to why plug you, in my charger. Why have you suddenly... Why have you suddenly run out of plug sockets? All, all sorts of baby contraptions. I've got a monitor oh, on and yes, bits yeah, and bobs charging yeah, yeah. And, and stuff like that. So the uh, extension cable is full. So I have to get rid of the light 
to pl- plug yep. in the laptop to to charge and I haven't put on the overhead light so uh sorry about that but uh there you go I don't know just as we were talking it was just getting darker and darker it's very and outside, like, yeah it's it's oh it's been where people may be listening to us for the very first time we're both based in the UK we're locked down and there's a brief bit of snow but there's a lot of rain I mean where I live there's there's talk of flooding from the river it's just yeah it's just think this time of year normally be in Melbourne um just seeing those pictures there's blue courts the sunshine it look it's just great it's happening it's great they're gonna be crowds there. and i'm really excited you think if we stay with the women serena williams see she said didn't she that if it had been at the normal time she probably couldn't have made it because of her achilles that we saw go the back end of last year and she needed the extra time she looks like she means business we've got victoria azarenka at the hard quarantine has now released a podcast. She seems like she means business. Ash Barty. When was the last time we saw Ash Barty? She's still world number one. <laughs> She's still... <laughs> mm. like, and, and Simona Halep. I feel like... I just feel like we haven't seen this place. And Sophia Kenny. She's a defending champion. Keep forgetting that. It's just... It's so exciting. It's so exciting that all these players are going to be back together in one tournament, one place for a Grand Slam. Yes. And we're going to have some decent crowds. Not going to be full crowds. It's not completely back to normal for um, the Australian Open. But come on, it's going to be brilliant. I'm so, so excited about it. It's just been great to just watch the matches and just to see everything kind of kicking off. And I know the quarantine was difficult and there were you know, some grumbling and some, some issues that, that came up. But I think on the whole, the players got on with it really nicely, really well and going to play some great tennis. And I don't think that they're going to pick up too many injuries because of the quarantine. I know you were talking about this before, but I just think that they will be able to get on with it and it, it will be it will be okay and it will just be like a normal slam. Who for you is going to win? We have, we've hardly seen any of them in action, but so right now, who's going to win the women's Australian Open? Because I, I just can't, I can't move away from Naomi Osaka. I've suddenly got this thing. I just think she's going to dominate. Mm-hmm. She, for me now, she is the player to be going for. I don't know if I'm believing the hype or I'm seeing, I, I don't know. I just now, for me, Osaka is slightly above the rest and I think she's going to stay that way for a fair while. Yeah, I would... <laughs> It's it's hard to look past her, isn't it? Because just the level that she's able to produce, and you just know that when she locks in, it's just it's just outrageous, <laughs> to be honest, isn't it? But I think with uh, you would say that about Andrescu. I just worry that I mean she just hasn't played <laughs> just at all. It's just so long. So I mean, wouldn't that be incredible if she just turned up and won though? But. I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go for Andreescu just because it's been that long. But she is somebody who, similar to Osaka, that when things are good, she's just almost unplayable. Yeah. It's absolutely extraordinary. It's so exciting at the top of the women's game right now. If we can get a fit and healthy Andreescu, we've got Osaka dialed in. As you say, we've got Kennan. She'll be doing her thing, being pretty disruptive to a lot of players, and that's just to name a few. And of course, you've got Halep, the experience of her, and you know she's got a couple of Grand Slams now, and. There are it's just so much going on, and of course Serena still yeah, will yeah. be uh, causing issues. So I just yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. It's really tough to pick a winner. I mean, look, the smart money's on Osaka, isn't it? But who thought Kenin was going to win last year? I think for me, Osaka in the last six months or so, I feel that she's really grown into who she wants to be. Because there was a lot when she was yeah. when she was winning the first slams, 
she was almost cripplingly shy and very kind of like, wow, this is a lot to take it. I just feel everything that came through through the US Open, the Black Lives Matter, I feel she's found her voice. I feel she's found her place. I feel she's found her reason for what she, her platform, a little bit like Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios got to the point and he said, okay, this is my foundation. I'm going to earn the money. For th this is why I'm playing. It's almost very, very different, but in terms of finding a reason and a purpose. And I just think what makes her extra dangerous is I feel she's a very different person now. And you add that with what she can do as, as a player. I think it's frightening. Yeah, I agree. It really is nice to see her sort of take charge of her yeah. situation. You feel like she is leading her team. You, you feel like, you know, not in a negative way, but you feel like everybody's working for her. And that she's striving forward and that everybody around her, whether it's agents or coach, like that she's directing them. She's telling them, this is what I want. This is what I want. And then they go off and they do it. Whereas before and with a lot of players, you feel like there's some pushing from other people of saying, well, yeah. how about this? Or don't you want to do this? And, you know, we hear things behind the scenes and you can tell when players aren't happy with certain things. And agents are saying, come on, you've got to do this. Or, or oh, don't say that. Don't say that. Whereas now you just feel like she's doing it. And if people want to work for her, great. If somebody else, like if they don't, then don't. You know, you don't feel like she's going to compromise for for anyone. She knows what what she's about, and you know that, that. I think she grew up pretty quickly, to be honest. And also, she's probably settled into being a, a multi multi millionaire as she's <laughs> buying shares and investing in football teams and and all sorts. She seems to to know what's what with that. Got got to grips with it and spent a bit of money, which I think is. <laughs> It's fair enough. But yeah, just it, it it's great to see her leading. She's a leading figure across all of women's sport now. And I'm not going to compare her to Serena because I don't believe that they are actually that similar at all. I think they're very, very different. Uh, but she is able to transcend the sport and she's been able to do that quite quickly, which is fantastic with you know a few slams under her belt. So hopefully that's going to have a massive impact for women's tennis moving forward so we both put our marker on a, a sock of the Australian Open for the men's uh, I remember we were doing the ATP tennis radio time capsule and we had to pick winners of the four slams did I give I think I stuck did I stick with the old guard I think everyone seems to go rogue on the US Open I don't know if it's because it's at the end of the year well it's normally the last one of the year yeah right <laughs> but we're kind of it's funny it's because it's because there's been a couple of those different wins you know we had a Del Potro win and we had uh, yeah, a Chilich yeah. win that yeah. that's why because that hasn't <laughs> happened just at Wimbledon or anywhere else it's kind of Australia Djokovic Roland Garros, uh, Rafa Nadal, Wimbledon, up till recent years it's been Federer, but then we've switched it in with Djokovic and we might have given Nadal one in there. And it gets to US Open and like, oh, I'm just going to have a punt. I think last year we had some Rublevs being put down there and we've had Del Potros in the past since he has come back and been fit. And we've just been a little bit different. But I think Australia, again, I and look, I think uh, Dominic team suffered a, a quite easy defeat in the first round of the ATP Cup, but that doesn't mean anything because if you think back to the US Open bubble, when he got absolutely crushed ahead of the US Open, I was like, oh, wasn't expecting that from team. What did he then go on to do? So I'm not sort of looking at that thinking, but I can't really see past Djokovic. And I don't know whether it's because it's it, it's his record, his mindset, that determination of being sort of all conquering and he, and he didn't manage to get the US Open Roland Garros and close that gap on Nadal and Federer. But I... I 
I don't know if you're going to give me some like really weird, wacky name, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm settling with Djokovic. Uh, it's tough to, tough to see it. Well, although he didn't win the couple of slams we had post lockdown last year. No, but yeah, but okay. But well, the US Open well. sort of, yeah. Um, and well. then, and, yeah. <laughs> and then Roland Garros, I mean, Nadal was on a different planet to everybody in that competition. So, but I, I, so are you, so where are you sitting then with Australia? For the guys, I think, I mean, look, it's probably Djokovic. Djokovic? It's probably Djokovic, <laughs> But because I think that uh, it's boring. <laughs> not it's boring. It's great that he's winning. <laughs> it's just it's boring as a prediction to say Djokovic. Not kind of, oh, I don't want him to win. It's, it's fantastic when he wins. And also, it's, <laughs> I feel you're digging yourself out of some hole that you didn't mean to dig for yourself. I also yeah. feel okay, like on. Djokovic <laughs> at Melbourne Park is very similar. Yeah. Not quite the same, but it's it's close to Rafa uh, at Roland Garros. I do think mm, that it is yeah. his backyard. He is so, so comfortable there. It doesn't yeah. really matter who he's playing in the final. I remember when he had that final against Nadal and everybody was hyping it up. And we were thinking, yep, hold yep, tight, yep. everyone, hold tight. And then he absolutely <laughs> chopped him. It was, <laughs> it was like, it was. I mean, Nadal was just like, okay, there's nothing I can do. And um, when do you ever see Nadal do that? He was just, he didn't give up, obviously not, but it was just crazy. So I do think that it's, yes, I think Rafa on Philip Chatrier is the toughest challenge in tennis. I think it's one of the toughest challenges across all of sport. But I think that yep. Djokovic on Rod Laver is pretty similar. Not far behind. I remember that that final, we were doing it for Five Live and you do the handover with the other presenter and we were sort of having a little chat about it. And I was like, this could go on for hours. <laughs> Everybody don't make any plans. We could be sort of two, three hours late for the next programme. And then you're like, oh, right. Okay, it's finished. And now we're thinking, right, how do we feel to get to the next programme? Having thought we were going to go over it by about two hours. We were like, and I remember everyone packing up. And normally there's this mad rush because I get the first flight out at 6am. So you're kind of, you like a long final, then you get yourself through. And it was kind of like, I don't know, nine o'clock. And I'm sitting there going, right. Um, okay, taxi arrives at uh, three a.m. What what do I do? <laughs> like, because normally it goes long into the night, and it's that it's kind of mad rush. And it was, yeah, it's weird saying it was an anticlimax because it was incredible. What a little I bit think like it was about. though. It wasn't. It wasn't even that competitive. Yeah, it kind of doesn't that sound a little bit disrespectful in the final of a Grand Slam to say absolutely it, it was an anticlimax because what Djokovic has done, what he's achieved is great. But 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 you're right. It was that's the first thing you thought because you're like, right, it wasn't as you say, it wasn't a contest. But then it's the same, but just in reverse when it's the two of them playing at Roland Garros. Yeah, yeah. It exactly. was this that like it was this literally the same in the final this year. Yeah. That's what we saw was just sort of a you know came out to be competitive and Djokovic went, Oh, okay. <laughs> It's weird, isn't it? It's nearly time for Roland Garros again. <laughs> I feel, it's I feel like, strange. I feel like it. I'm already sort of having chats and discussions about Roland Garros, and I'm thinking, and, and I, I'm thinking, wow, it still feels so fresh. It is so fresh because it really was only a few months ago. It's still, and we know the Indian Wells. I, I heard, I saw on social media that they're looking at a two-week October window, possibly, maybe because they have the weather for for Indian Wells to move there for this year. Yeah, but what tournaments are they going to boot out? That's the problem. I think, did I read somewhere, and I, I've kind of been vaguely across things, that it was, I think it was 
maybe okay for the WTA, but not so good for the ATP or something. It was it was better for one tour than the other. But surely, I mean, surely, who I understand that the organisers have to, but in terms of me and you and normal people, who is even thinking about October? <laughs> we just we barely know what's happening in the next few months. Day by day, at the moment there is look at the moment we've got sort of eighty matches a day, tennis matches to keep a track on and and keep across. I'm uh, working for Five Live for the Australian, but not out there obviously because I would have gone through my quarantine. So I'm keeping. It's strange is it who you work for. So I'm keeping an even closer eye on the British players because obviously the focus while they're in will be heavily on the British players with the other oh, yes. stories. So it's it's strange, is it, who you work for, whether it's a, a world feed and you're across everything or if you work, you're working for, I don't know, the US Open or for Roland Garros and maybe you're a little bit more. But so I've sort of keeping a really close eye on the Brits. Because well, yeah, it's the same sort of, sometimes when we do, we'll both be working on, say, Indian Wells, but maybe yeah. you'll be doing the men's and I'll be doing yes. the women's. And I... I have no idea what's happening in the men's because the you're so you can't you can't really be sort of having a screen with other matches on and you you do see glance up and see the scores but you don't really know the stories of the day because you're just we're working all day it's really really busy and I've got no idea what goes on I'm waiting for your match to finish you're waiting for my match to finish no one knows what's going on but it's uh, so I'm very I'm really focusing on the so I'm making sure I focus on really on the British players there's hopefully going to be some great stories Francesca Jones, for one, it's a great story here, even qualifying and being there. We don't have Andy Murray, don't have Kyle Edmund, etc. And then keeping a, a close eye on on everything. By the way, it's I almost can't see you now. Just it is, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I just can see this microphone wafting around every now and then. It's so dark. <laughs> it's so dark. I'm not looking my best. It's probably you, it's, it's for the. Are best. you still couched to five k? How, how many more trainers have you fired since we last spoke? I am no, no, no. I'm happy. I'm happy with the one that I've got now. Right. She's very nice. She keeps saying, "You're a runner. You're running. <laughs> you can do it. You're doing it." <laughs> uh, so that's fun. But it's yeah, it's it's less fun now as the uh, the minutes get longer. But no, it's going all right. It's going all right. In a few weeks, and it is amazing how you do just improve quite quickly. Because at the beginning, yeah. I was thinking. I was embarrassed. I was like, I can't believe I used to be a professional athlete. This is absolutely shocking. I've run to the end of the road and my heart rate is really high. <laughs> this is awful. But, you know, you've got to give yourself a bit of a break. So it's OK. And uh, all you can do is just try and improve from where you're at. doesn't really matter how you got there. Yeah, I, 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 that's still the one thing I'm not doing. I'm still plodding along. I'm not sure I'm improving, but I'm still getting myself out there. No, you're going so much faster no, now. Well, yeah, that, well, yeah, well, that, that is debatable. I, you could definitely go faster than me pushing a pram i'm not that but also it, on your route that that is not true at all everybody <laughs> it's absolutely nonsense but on your route you see you're sensible because you go sort of uphill first don't you and then you come oh, there, back down the wind behind you and down you come but unfortunately i live sort of on a hill there's no way to go uphill first oh, i have oh. to go downhill and then oh. uphill and it's always uphill into the wind on the way back so That's the worst. that makes it that makes it quite quite difficult. I've tried to figure it out, but I, I live on a hill, and I'm well, you all of the place names hill. around me are hills as well. So just, <laughs> you just—it's very hilly. People don't realise that South London is so hilly, but it really, when you start running around it, you're thinking, "My word!" I've got a couple of homeschooling questions for you now. Not only did my five-year-olds not know the answer to this, but I, at my old age, did not know this. You'll probably know this. Because you're oh, younger and sort I'm of not sure. 
Do you know what a split diagraph is? A split diagraph, no. Yeah. Do you know what a diagraph is? No. So <laughs> there'll be people there'll be people screaming, going, it's a so I didn't know what this was, and we had this whole exercise to about diagraphs and split diagraphs. So a diagraph is a combination of two letters that make a single sound. Right? Okay, right, yeah. So your easiest one is E, like E. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And a, and a split <laughs> split diagraph is when you stick a consonant in the middle. Okay. So like Eve. Right. Right? Yeah. Why do yeah. we need to name these things? What, what Eve? Or is it? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the diagraph. As in, well, okay, yeah, I'm with you. I'm following it. Are, are you following great. that? So, if, so go on, tell me what's a diagraph then? A diagraph is, <laughs> is a, a two-letter word that makes a single sound. Yeah, and, and you split it, you put your consonant. Well, you shove a letter in the middle. Yeah, uh, it's a, a consonant. Slit your constant. Well, so that's most I, letters. It's fine. I, <laughs> I, I didn't have a clue. So we got this whole thing about doing split diagraphs. And you know when you're looking at something, and I hadn't done that much prep for it the night before, and I'm thinking, I, d- I g- genuinely can't explain this. And they go, Mommy, what's a diagraph? And I'm thinking, am I, is it, am I the only one that... What? <laughs> I literally had no clue. So we got through split diagraphs. And then, if you listen to Vivaldi's Four Seasons... Yes. Right. Let's take the winter section. Okay. Right. If I asked you to name the instruments, like, what would you say just off the top of your head? Well, if I was, what, if I was listening to it, I could. Yeah. Well. But I'm not listening to it right now. <laughs> but it's base. it's, it's a lot of strings. It's a lot of strings well, and a yeah. harpsichord, right? So one of the twins said, that we were listening to it and said, oh, it's violins, which I thought was brilliant. Oh, that's great. Right. Yeah, sure. And then we got I would have said else. violin first, probably. Exactly, you see. And then we moved on a little bit. And then one of them said piano. And it's a harpsichord, right? But what five-year-old knows what a harpsichord is? Please tell me. <laughs> did, did you know what a harpsichord is? I mean, can, no. no. Well, exactly. I know now, but yeah, I wouldn't have known when I was five. No, I know you know. I hope you know now. But it's <laughs> but five-year-old. So I said it's a harpsichord. And they said, Mom, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, it's like a piano. And then, so we had to then draw all these pictures and name all these instruments. So we're naming the instruments of Valdi's Four Seasons. Then you do pictures. So drew a violin, wrote violin. And then... Th- harpsichord I mean I got a picture of a harpsichord I thought I couldn't even draw a harpsichord can't spell it it's so we drew a piano and I put it in the teacher's like oh it's not a piano it's a harpsichord and I was like they're five like I thought I thought (laughs) violin and piano was quite good because they're not going to start saying oh well mommy I think now it's a cello and I think the double bass has come in because again so I mean the the things I, I mean things I'm learning about not so much the Valdi I had that but diagraphs split diagraphs i mean i can't tell you i'm and when it got announced that the uk was having another two weeks lockdown it's we're doing what eight or nine tasks a day work wow. tasks full on it's it's you know and they're like and by the sounds of it they're already smarter than you yes they are <laughs> <laughs> I, I hesitated for a second but i thought look if, if at five they know all about split diagraphs and at my age i still didn't know then maybe the future is bright but I have to say it's uh, it's it's very full on and credit to not just all the teachers, but all the mothers out there who are doing full time jobs. I'm quite lucky. Yes, I work. And when I go to Manchester, I, I go away for two weeks, but I have been here so I can do it. But all the credit to those parents who are juggling working from home full time and homeschooling genuinely don't know how they do it. 
it's impressive it's yeah, it's, impressive. it's impressive isn't it so it's uh but yeah so we're getting there with home to go I, i'm gonna have to say goodbye to you soon because i genuinely can't see you i mean it's 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 <laughs> It's quite. I, I, feel, Turn my camera off. I mean, generally not there. But we've got. We we are back. It's it's great to be back. And from next week, I don't know how I'll sound next week because that's when I start my my overnight. Over, no overnight. No early morning. I don't know what they are. But it's. A, I'm going to be working very weird hours. <laughs> but the Australian Open will be on. The Australian Open will be on. We'll have these beautiful shots of crowds, sunshine, the best players in the world. It's it's going to be great. I think I'm probably be getting up about two or three o'clock every morning, working till about midday. I won't recognise you without your usual January tan. Well, I, we we can fake that. That's fine. <laughs> we can. Uh, we'll, we'll... Yeah, imagine if you turn up to the studio and you've just got fake tan and you're just totally orange, and you're like, I'm ready for the Australian summer. And like flip-flops, and although I wouldn't be that casual, but I'm like, I just wanted to feel like I'm in Australia. They'd be like, yeah, but you know you're in Manchester, and the BBC HQ in like an office. And I'll be like, yeah, I know. And my morning <laughs> runs along the canal in Manchester are going to be slightly different. But no, it's great that working on it, you still looking after the little fella, but you're going to be tuning in. Look, we have so much. There's already so much to talk about. Just imagine we've got 80 matches a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, wait, wait till I actually get started. And, and next week it will be underway. And yeah, I can't wait for a bit of a bit of tennis normality, really. No, I can't wait. And we will talk again. I'll speak to you next week. I'm going to do a refresher on split diagraphs. Oh, oh. Good luck. Bye. Good luck. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>